This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Space Force is settling into its position as the newest branch of the military, but the possibilities for a reserve and guard unit, those are still in flux. There might be some movement on the issue coming through soon, though. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni joins me with the latest. And Scott, let's begin with why the Space Force might need a guard or reserve in the first place. Well, as you can imagine, the talent pool when it comes to a space uh, industry is not very big. Um, You know, you have NASA, you have the uh, big SpaceX and and other uh, companies like that. You have uh, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin that work within the space industry, and that's pretty much it. It's a way to kind of keep people on retainer. So after they, you know, they can keep their day job and keep making that $150,000 paycheck and then also serve their country on the weekends or uh, more than that if they'd like to. There's also just the more traditional role of the Garden Reserve, which is uh, when people need to be taken out, when they need a break, when they need to go on maternity leave or something like that, you can just plug someone new into that force and, uh, you know, not skip a beat. And that person can take the time that they need off from their active duty position. And I imagine the Space Force jobs are pretty technical in many ways. And so there's the additional need for besides physical training or training on a tank or something, you would need to keep your technical chops up in cyber and in all those systems that operate in space. So that's maybe that's a challenge. Definitely. I mean, there's a lot of the things they're working on are position navigating and timing, you know, satellites, intelligence. These are not, uh, you know, small tasks that, uh, you know, some regular smoke can do. This is someone that really has a lot of work that they've done and a lot of education they, they put behind the work they're doing. Yeah. And spoofing the Chinese GPS, if you want to, or spoofing the Russian GPS. We might need to do that from time to time. So who's involved in deciding this and where are they all in the process? Well, since the formation of the Space Force and even before that, the Defense Department's been talking about a Space National Guard. Now, they're supposed to give a recommendation to Congress about this. It's been about two years they've been talking about this. Uh, and finally, General Hokinson, who's the chief of the National Guard Bureau, said they're very close to sending these recommendations to Congress. Right now, they're working with the Air Force and the Space Force to create these recommendations, and they have been briefed to the Deputy Secretary of Defense. But uh, what they want to do is finally brief this to the Secretary of Defense and then send it to Congress. Now, it would take an act of Congress to create this National Guard. And, uh, you know, that's something that will have to be either fit into the NDAA or, you know, passed separately as its own thing and then signed by the president. Of course, there's always worries within the uh, Congress about things like uh, bureaucracy, extra bureaucracy, extra money, uh, all those sorts of things that come along with creating a new branch or new component of a branch. But the Marine Corps has a guard and reserve branch too as well as the navy right uh, you know they they do have their own the, the marine corps does not have its own guard necessarily it has right. its own reserve force and then the, the navy works with the coast guard and then also has its own reserve force as well so uh yes this this is not without precedent at all and one of the ways that they'd like to do this is combine the reserve and active force so they would sort of have their own training together and work with the same leadership and then this guard would be completely separate And one of the other ways that they're sort of allaying these fears with the Congress is that it would only be in seven states for this National Guard. It would be within the seven states that they already have space operations. So that includes places like Florida, Colorado, 
Hawaii, places you would think. And then Guam is where there's also space operations for the National Guard right now. Yeah, they would not be called on to fix dish networks or something if it went down in a neighborhood. We can't get our satellite signal. All right. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. And uh, you're also reporting that the National Guard itself is making a health care push. Tell us more about that. Yeah, well, healthcare is a really interesting thing within the National Guard. It tends to go back and forth depending on what title you're working on as a guardsman. So uh, you may be, when you're called up for deployment, may get full uh, healthcare benefits. But then once you're back on your previous, uh, you know, uh, Article 32 or something like that, you aren't getting the exact same health care as you were before. That gets really confusing for guardsmen. Uh, it's also really confusing for, you know, when it comes to spending money and trying to budget out the rest of your year. So what the the chief of the National Guard Bureau wants is just a straightforward universal health care for guardsmen. That's going to be a pretty heavy lift. It's expensive. There's a lot of uh, guardsmen that are in the Army and Air uh, National Guard. So, uh, you know, something that Congress will have to take a look at. It's something that uh, wasn't really expected out of this hearing that uh, came earlier this week with the National Guard Bureau, but one that uh, Congress will probably likely look into, especially considering that the National Guard spent this past year being more deployed than they have been since World War II. Well, do we know whether the Guard is looking to be in TRICARE in the same military health system as everyone else? Because that would have an implication for a lot of things budget-wise. Right. And one would assume that they would. Right now, they're working uh, within TRICARE, and uh, Guardsmen are are eligible for TRICARE depending on what sort of deployment that they have. They get different types of TRICARE um, and then sometimes active duty type uh, care as well. So um, you would assume that they would try and fold that into it. And especially it might be helpful for TRICARE because TRICARE has been working. It tends to be a pretty expensive endeavor for the Defense Department to add more beneficiaries in there who can pay co-pays and things like that might help uh, deal with some of that budget issue that they're working on. Interesting. So you could leave the military as a career, but stay in as a National Guard Reserve type of member, then you can't get the VA benefits. So where are they getting health care now? Well, right now they either get it through TRICARE in certain situations or through their company or through you know private, private uh, ways of getting health care. So it all depends on how you decide to structure your family and, and how much you're working within the National Guard and getting deployed as well. Sure. And speaking of space, the DOD's Office of Inspector General has a report it's working on. You've been looking at that also. Yeah, this is uh, something kind of interesting, but it's been coming up a lot within the Defense Department, and that's UFOs, unidentified flying objects. The Inspector General is now uh, looking into these uh, UFOs. The details are pretty scant on what they're going to look at, but the report is starting this month, the investigation. And if you really think about it, this is probably something the Defense Department should be looking into. They have uh, objects flying in restricted airspace that could be a national security issue. Now, that might be an aluminum balloon from a kid's birthday party, or it might be an alien. We don't know, but uh, it's probably better to know than to not to know. Well, most likely it's a system developed by a country we need to worry about. Right. That's another possibility. And so, you know, that's certainly something that the Defense Department doesn't want to uh, be caught with their pants down or out about. So uh, something they're going to look into, something we might hear more about. And then, of course, Congress has been clamoring for more information about UFOs and the Defense Department's been releasing a lot of FOIA documents. So who knows what's out there? Federal News Network, Scott Mossione. Thanks so much. Thank you. Check out all of his stories at federalnewsnetwork.com. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach 
at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a senior advisor and deputy chief of staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, you think about a pandemic, for example, that has uh, placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, and the idea that we don't have the human interaction uh, which I think is very important when you think about the I- empathy that is uh, a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented a terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America, and certainly within me, uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here, and we're moving forward. <laughs> Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have uh, my willingness to to fight for change, and that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the 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 massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, 
Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it, it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce, uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call Equality of Opportunity Initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of of them, of of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, Who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality... Did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values, but the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that that attribute, I think, is one that that I embody. I mean, I, I I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic! And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give? to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the, 
Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor at the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Jane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me. If there was some advice and counsel I could give is to continue to do your work, but, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.